0: Hello, and welcome to the Crossroads podcast, the show where Mark Meckler and Rita Peters discuss hot-button issues from a biblical perspective, helping to equip other Christians to bring light to a darkened culture. Rita is the Senior Vice President of Legislative Affairs, and Mark serves as the CEO and co-founder for Convention of States Action. Find out more by visiting conventionofstates.com pod.
1: Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. I'm Rita Peters, and I'm here once again with my co-host, Mark Meckler. Mark, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great. It's great to be with you. And I'm really excited about today's subject, because other than talking about my faith, it's probably my favorite subject.
1: Yeah, me too. Same thing. So today is the day that we will do our annual january program about convention of states and if you've listened to the program for a while you have heard mark and i talk about convention of states probably just in passing as we talk about other subjects because both mark and i believe that the convention of states is the right solution maybe the only solution to a lot of the dysfunction that we see in our government system today. And it also happens to be what Mark and I do for our day job, right? <laughs> Mark is the president and co-founder of Convention of States Action, and I serve as the senior vice president for legislative affairs. So that lets you know right right there that we're really passionate about this. We really believe in it. And Mark, I'm just going to sort of do this program mostly as an interview of you. And I want to start off by having you tell us a little bit about how this came to be. But I know and some of our viewers know that you first made your mark on the political scene in America by co-founding Tea Party Patriots. So just briefly tell us about what led you to get involved in that and then why you later walked away and founded Convention of States.
0: Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting and I hear this from so many activists, it's really kind of a Gideon story. And what I mean by that is I never intended to be involved. I I feel like I got called to the fight Uh, in 2009. There's a lot of turmoil in the country. If you're old enough, you'll remember those days there there was a big fight going on politically. Uh, Obama was running for the presidency. Uh, there are a lot of crazy stuff in the Republican Party. George Bush had said that he was an abandoning free market principles to save the free market. And I just couldn't understand what kind of political rabbit hole we'd fallen down. So the Tea Party movement started. I ultimately founded one of the founders of Tea Party Patriots. And our goal was to return the power in Washington, D.C., to people who represented the people. And we elected the largest swing class in Congress since 1938. I thought everything was gonna change. I expected with a mandate like that, I think there were 63 or 68 seats that changed hands between the parties. I thought everything would change. And I was sorely disappointed because nothing changed really. Uh, The Republicans that swept to power did almost nothing. They didn't do the things they promised to do. Most of them succumbed to the swamp pretty quickly. We didn't use the term deep state back then, but we were definitely facing the deep state as well. And really by 2012, I'd become pretty disillusioned. I'd put everything I had into it, literally financially, personally, physically, emotionally, traveling all over the country and nothing had changed. And I was ready to leave politics. That's when I met Mike Ferris and y'all have heard us mention Mike Ferris on this program before. He was the founder of the homeschool movement in America, the founder of Patrick Henry College, a great Christian college in Percival, Virginia. And Mike asked me if I was satisfied with what I'd finished and accomplished in politics. And I told him no. And he said, I was addressing the wrong problem. He said that the problem was not a personnel problem, which was kind of my approach, but the problem was a structure problem. And that we had broken the structure of governance in the United States of America, especially over the last say 115, 120 years now. And that if we didn't fix the structure, that it didn't matter who we sent to DC. And he pointed me to Article 5, to the second clause of Article 5 that gives the states the power to call a convention. And he said, This is what we've got to do. We've got to call a convention. We've got to propose amendments. And those amendments are intended to repair the structure. And very specifically, Rita, and this is important, the jurisdictional structure. The fight is about who decides. Does Washington, D.C., decide, or do we, the people, decide? And that's the fight that you and I believe, and that Mike Ferris believed was most important. So that's how Convention of States was founded, to pursue the second clause of Article 5, the calling of a Convention of States.
1: So that's really helpful to have that background. Um, Would you go ahead now and just review the basic process with, with us? You know, and you and I have talked before. We're both attorneys. We went all the way through law school, passed the bar, didn't really know anything about article five or that there was this thing called the convention of States. So I think it's safe to say that many people watching or listening to the program today may have never heard of this. So tell us basically how the process works. What does it take to have a convention and what happens at convention?
0: Yeah, and I think that's important to note if you've never heard of this, uh, don't feel bad. I'd never heard of it probably, if you go back 11 years, 12 years ago, I'd never heard of it either and it's only through being exposed to it from Mike Ferris that I learned about it. So, and it's pretty simple. Uh, What the founders told us or the framers told us in 1787, Colonel George Mason addressed the assembly two days before the end of convention and said that we've got a problem with the document. We gave the power to Congress to propose amendments, but we didn't give the same power to the people acting through the states. And then he asked a question, are we so naive that we believe that a federal government that becomes a tyranny would ever propose amendments to restrain its own tyranny? And we know what they thought pretty clearly. Of course, we don't have videotape or audiotape. We have Madison's notes, and Madison's notes say NINCOM at that point. NINCOM is a Latin abbreviation for no comment or no debate. So nobody argued with Mason. They debated everything, but not this. And then they voted unanimously to give the states the power to call a convention. And the structure was designed to be very similar to the power of Congress to propose amendments. So Congress, whenever two-thirds of both houses decide that they wanna propose an amendment, they do that and they send it out for ratification by three quarters of the states. So the power that they gave to the people acting through the states was very similar. Whenever two thirds of the states decide they wanna gather in convention, they can then do so to discuss amendments. And when they decide in a simple majority that they have amendments that they would like to suggest to the states, then those amendments go out to the states by ratification of three quarters of the states. So same ratification process Uh, Two-thirds threshold for getting into convention, just like the two-thirds threshold for sending uh, amendments out from Congress to the states. Important to note along the way, Rita, uh, process-wise, I get this question all the time, well, who goes to convention? How do we know who the people at convention will be? And the answer is, I love this part, it's purely federalist. So if you're a federalist, if you believe in, in this diversification of power among the states, Each state will decide how they send commissioners to the convention. They'll choose as many or as few as they want by whatever process they want. That's up to the legislature. But important to note, every state gets a single vote because this is a convention of states, not a convention of delegates or a convention of the people or a convention of the population. So they'll choose their delegates or what are actually officially called commissioners. They will commission them with written instructions and then they will send those to a convention to have discussions about proposed amendments.
1: Yeah, and thanks, Mark. That was a really good job of summarizing a lot of information really briefly. And I want to just mention right now if you're listening and you want to learn more about this process, or you're interested in reading some articles about it, or even getting involved, go to conventionofstates.com. There's all the information you'll ever want there. But I think it's worth reiterating Mark, that throughout this Article Five convention process, when we talk about the states, the states act pursu- through, rather, the states act through their state legislatures. So the governors of the states are not involved in this process at all. It is the elected legislators of the state that pass the resolution that, you know, th- we mentioned thirty four is the number. 34 state legislatures have to pass this resolution or application in order to amount to that two thirds that gets us to convention. And then again, the state legislatures are the ones who choose who is going to represent them at the convention. So that's- And I wanna jump
0: a little bit into specifics if I could, because the question then it begs the question, well, what will they talk about in convention? And in the case of Convention of States, we have a three-part resolution. It's what's called a subject matter resolution. What that means is there are going to be three subject matters that they'll be able to discuss at convention. Anything that would impose fiscal restraints on the federal government, that would include things like a balanced budget amendment, which is supported by about 80-85% of Americans, would include things like tax caps and spending caps, important things we're not seeing out of D.C. right now. It would include a second area of discussion, which is term limits, and not just term limits for members of Congress, but term limits on what we now refer to as the deep state staffers and bureaucrats who are really running things in Washington, D.C. Founders never intended for it to be that way. They never intended for people to be there 30 years. Term limits, again, very popular. And by the way, we're hearing both of those things out of Congress. Part of the rules package uh, that came out of the the fight over the speakership was they're going to do a vote on term limits and on a balanced budget amendment. So they're required a record vote. So interesting that this is making its way into the broader American public discourse. And then finally, and I think most importantly, is anything that would impose scope or jurisdictional restraints on the federal government. And this really is about who decides, in other words, should the federal government be involved in things like education or energy or healthcare or the environment? These are things that were never intended for the federal government under the enumerated powers in the original Constitution. They've now taken control of those areas. They heavily regulate all those areas. We have a chance to say no to all of those things in a convention of states.
1: Yeah. And you know, I just want to point out too Mark, before we go any further because some people when they hear about this, they get confused based on you know misinformation that they've heard in the past or labels that people put on this process. But this is not about rewriting the Constitution or changing what's already in the Constitution. This is about proposing amendments to the Constitution. and You know, I'll point out our Constitution has a bunch of amendments, and every single one of them has gone through the Article V process of being proposed. Of course, all the amendments we have to date were proposed by Congress, but it's the same basic process of proposal and then ratification. So that is what we are seeking to do is get the states together in this meeting that then allows them to propose amendments to restrain federal power and jurisdiction, put term limits on federal officials if they choose to do that, and then those proposals go back to the states for ratification. So this is not some crazy rewrite of the Constitution at all. You and I would not be here if that's what we were talking about. Um, Anything to add to that, Mark? Do I have it right? Yeah.
0: You know, use the term uh, misinformation about this, and I think there is misinformation. But I want to parse terms here because we hear the terms misinformation and disinformation so much today. Misinformation is just information that's wrong, and you do hear wrong information about convention of states. But there's also disinformation out there, and this is really important to note. There are people out there who say this is dangerous and wild and crazy, and and it it's uh, it's a Soros plot, it's a leftist plot. That's actually disinformation. And literally, that is information spread by people, starting with the radical left, who don't want us to hold a Convention of States because they're worried we're going to use the Constitution to restore the Constitution. Unfortunately, there are people on the right that have picked up this disinformation. Again, intentional wrong information designed to keep you afraid and keep you from using the tools that the framers gave you by the way introduced into our society by chief justice warren berger the guy that gave us roe versus wade came up with the idea of the runaway convention and that you should be scared of it If you wanna know more about this and know about the disinformation campaign against Convention of States, you can go to conventionofstates.com, you can go to the resources tab. Importantly, look up David Horowitz and you'll find his article where he talks about how this is a propaganda campaign started by the radical left, unfortunately picked up by some people on the right uh, who in their case are spreading disinformation. Sometimes they know, uh, sometimes they don't know, uh, but either way, it's bad information.
1: That's right. And you know, Mark, I want to share a little bit about my own story. I got involved in this effort also through Michael Ferris. He was the first one who told me about this. Process and I started to do a little bit of research into the idea. And then I got involved first as a volunteer, and then Mike brought me on as a staff member. But the reason I got involved with this and have really devoted my career to it is because of the pure logic of it. You know, I had spent several years um, doing litigation against government institutions when they would abuse their powers in the area of civil rights. And I was ready to find some sort of meaningful, proactive solution to, you know, impose real much needed limits on the federal government that obviously does way more things today than it was actually given power in the Constitution to do. And honestly, Mark, this idea of using a process that was already in the Constitution for exactly this type of situation, it was just the most logical, you know, straightforward thing that I could think of to do. And, you know, that's what it is. I believe that Um, Most of the problems we see in our federal system today, like you pointed out, they're structural problems, but they've come about, I think, because of bad interpretations of constitutional language that have been used to really expand the power that the federal government has. And I believe the only way to fix that problem is through constitutional amendments that spell out the proper interpretations in black and white, clear, modern language. So that's why I'm here. And, you know, I ought to point out at this point, because I usually spend most of my time talking about the logic of this and why it makes so much sense. But some people might be asking, well, how are you going to get this done? And the way we're going to get it done, Mark, is through a massive nationwide grassroots army, right?
0: yeah and and look for there's logic but there's also emotion here that's and this is really important to me i'm personally sick and tired of conservatives being on defense all the time and you know like the litigation you're talking about i think it's important i'm glad we do it you know my son does the same kind of litigation you used to do i'm really proud of him for but it's always defensive in other words federal government does something really bad really horrible and they're doing more and more of that every day and then we have a defensive action against that we litigate we try to get the courts to overturn it but the question is are we gonna fight on defense because fighting on defense is not a winning fight it just holds ground and it keeps us from losing and so we have to be on offense and the best and that by the way that's just by nature that's exciting to me right i want to charge into battle i don't want to wait behind the walls for them to attack the city and so being out in the battle the most important way we do that is by working with grassroots activists and I would say this is an area, one of the few areas I would call myself an expert. You know, I've now spent 13 years leading grassroots organizations, uh, being in the fight side by side with the grassroots all across the country. And I know if you study American history, what you're gonna find is that this is what's always worked. And it's literally the only thing that's ever worked. It's never been one person. If you see one person and they're making great change, what you're either gonna find is a complete tyrant who's taken over your government or a grassroots army behind that one person, right? The real power is in the numbers in the grassroots. And we have millions of people involved today. We now have people in every single state legislative district in the United States of America, that's never been done before, in every congressional district in America. And it's important to note though, they're doing Convention of States and that's our primary recruiting tool, our primary activity. They're also being trained and learning how to be involved in elections. They're running for office themselves. They're doing ballot integrity and election integrity stuff. They're in the fight for life. They're in the fight for the Second Amendment, for property rights. Anything that you would consider a solid conservative value, our grassroots activists are in the fight And we need them, and we not only need them for Convention of States, but we need them for the restoration of liberty more broadly and self-governance more broadly in America.
1: Absolutely. And Mark, I have to say, I just think it is absolutely incredible that under your leadership, and it's been a team effort, there are a lot more people involved, but under your leadership, we have organized Volunteer teams in all fifty states. Yeah. In fact, you know, Hawaii, which someone might even forget, is one of those fifty states. is an extremely vibrant, active team. Um, we we have volunteers who have studied this and are you know joining the fight because they care about the future of our country and want to be involved in this proactive meaningful, workable, constitutional solution. Um, Tell everyone where we are as far as getting this done. That's another question that people always wanna know. Well, how close are you?
0: Yep, so it takes two thirds of states to get to calling a convention, that's 34 states. And so far 19 states have passed the resolution. And so we are way more than halfway across the finish line on our way to calling a convention of states. I think that's really important because Rita, when we started this project, A lot of people kind of would roll their eyes behind our back and like that's really swell that you guys are trying to do this thing but there's no way you could ever do it and no nobody's ever going to take you seriously yet today 19 states have passed this i think there's six more states that have passed it in one house or another roughly five or six states and i think we're well on our way this year in this opening legislative session i think we have 43 states in session right now and all of them will be in session here pretty quickly and all of them by the way have filed a convention of states resolution now and we have we just crossed that threshold uh we had 49 states that have filed the resolution now All 50 states have filed the resolution at one point or another and so we are a long way down this road and it's important for folks to remember that look if you're joining now if you become part of convention of states you're joining the winning team. (laughs) We are winning and we are proceeding. In the beginning, you'd have to be one of the crazy people out there with me and Rita running out into the battlefield by ourselves. Today, you're joining millions of people who are having great success all across the country.
1: Absolutely. Mark, let me ask you, and I know you're gonna give an honest, um, candid response. Has it been harder than you thought it would be to get to 19?
0: Way harder. (laughs) I mean, I can't even describe how much harder. You know, when I the first one we started this, I thought, oh, you know, two, three, four years and we'll we'll get it done. I felt like the American public was ready, the sentiment was there. And so I thought we would get it done quickly. Now I'll say in hindsight, I'm really glad we didn't. And I had a mentor who, when I had said this to him, his name's Tim Dunn. And when I had said to Tim, yeah, we'll get it done in a couple of years, he didn't discouraged me but in his head he thought man i really hope not and the reason that he really hoped not is because he understood something i didn't get at the time which is building the grassroots army is the thing and that takes a lot of years and a lot of time and effort and money and pr and everything that goes into it a lot of leadership on the part of a lot of different people to get to where you can build an organization this size and why that's so important and why we've had to go through all the trials and tribulations i think is because we need that army to secure liberty, to secure self-governance in America. If we'd blown through this in a couple of years, got some amendments, and then we all go back home and we haven't built the army, what would happen is we would fail because the government would just go right back to doing what it does, and there would be no watchdogs on the government, no no men on the wall, men and women on the wall, and that's what we actually are building this giant army that can be on the wall and engaged in the fight every single day. So it's been way harder than I ever imagined, yeah. uh, and I'm glad it has been.
1: Yeah, I, I it's been harder than I expected, too, because I thought that just, you know, all we needed to do is explain to state legislators how the process works and, you know, why we needed to use it, because Congress is never going to reform itself. And I thought, you know, it's a matter of um, principle and logic. <laughs> but then I realized, oh, politics do matter. Um, which is why we need the grassroots army that we're continuing to build. And I have to add, Mark, I am so inspired and encouraged every day by two things by our grassroots and the quality and the passion of the and the commitment and the sacrifice of the volunteers who are part of this effort. I'm also an, an inspired and encouraged all the time by the number of state legislators who really are statesmen who really do care about doing what's right for the country yeah there are some egotistical politicians out there who are serving serving you know but really working in self-interest um but there are a lot of statesmen out there too and i wish everyone listening and and watching could get to know them the way we have we are quickly running out of time mark And before we do run out of time, I have to address a couple of the objections. I'm going to group these into two categories. There's one objection that I think is a good one that really deserves a good response, and then there's a set of objections that are just based on fear, which I'm going to ask you to just deal with quickly. The one objection um, that I think really is valid and deserves, you know, a good, thoughtful response is when people say, well, changing the Constitution or adding amendments to the Constitution isn't going to fix the problem because the problem is that the federal government just doesn't obey the Constitution. So, Mark, how would you how do you respond to that?
0: Yeah, look, that's my favorite question. I do think that's the most rational question uh, because of how our perspective on the federal government. But I'm going to say something that's really going to disturb people, which is mostly the federal government follows the Constitution. And you just have to ask yourself, what Constitution am I referring to? Most people are going to be puzzled by that. But there are really two constitutions in America. There's the one that you and I know and love, and it's found in the pocket Constitution. You might carry one around. You might have a copy on your wall like I do. Simple, beautiful, and you and I can read it and know what it means. And then there's the Constitution of the United States of America produced by the Government Publishing Office, which now is over 3,000 pages. It weighs over 10 pounds, and it contains every case ever issued by the United States Supreme Court telling us what that beautiful, simple, eloquent Constitution means. And in there is everything that is wrong or a lot of things that are wrong with what we've done with the United States Constitution. It's dramatically expanded the power of federal government through the interpretation of the courts. And the only way to address that, the only way to chew back against that and return us to something like the original constitution is to call a convention of states. Some people will say, well, we can have the Supreme Court do that. Well, I just don't think we have another 150 years left in the Republic to wait for the right Supreme Court and the right cases through the right district at the right moment. So I I agree. I love our constitution as it's written, just not as interpreted. And that's what we're dealing with with an article five convention. Mm
1: That's right. Okay. And then the other set of arguments, and I call these the fear-based arguments. Um, the first one is, oh, we can't have an Article Five convention because it'll be a runaway convention and it'll throw out the Bill of Rights and, you know, we'll operate under this new world order. It'll be terrible. Mark, how do you respond to that? <laughs>
0: Well, I want to start with, as conservatives, we should always know where arguments come from. Don't make an argument if you don't understand the foundation for the argument, because that means you're just stepping in a booby trap. And the reality is that argument, as I mentioned earlier, comes from Chief Justice Warren Burger. He is the chief justice that signed Roe v.ersus Wade. That initial opinion about a convention of states comes because he was asked— by Phyllis Schlafly, what he thought of a convention. Now, at that point, you had a bunch of states that had passed resolutions calling for a convention to overturn Roe v.ersus Wade. He obviously didn't like that very much, didn't want to see Roe v.ersus Wade overturned. So he said that we would have a runaway convention. They then hired. He was involved in the hiring of or the the recruiting of law professors at Yale and Harvard. To write law review articles intended to scare people away from this. And we have all this documentary evidence is on our website. You don't have to believe me. And then over the years, this has been pushed by the radical left in America to keep people on the right from using a convention. So this is intended, this is propaganda. Again, I'd point you out the David Horowitz article on our website. This is propaganda intended to keep conservatives from using a tool in the constitution to save the constitution. And then I would just go to the structural protections. The founders understood human nature. They were geniuses in structure, right? We look at our government and we think, man, they're so smart. Three branches of government, the layers of government between the federal government and the state's federalism, and all these protections, uh, checks and balances as we call them, they understood that and they built that into convention as well. So the idea of a runaway convention, first of all, 34 states have to agree on the subject matter of convention in advance. I mentioned what those subject matter areas were, so the idea that they would go outside of those, we have a super majority going into convention that have agreed in convention, anybody could object to anything that goes outside those subject matter areas, even presuming that it got out of control somehow, it would require 26 days to do something outside those parameters, and even then, Rita, it's just a suggestion. It would right. take 38 states to ratify something we didn't like. So, I would encourage, by the way, anybody who's listening or watching today, if you're concerned about this, think in your mind, what amendment am I concerned about? Then think and see if you can come up with 38 states that would ratify that. That means it takes only the 13 most conservative states in America and only one house in each of the 13 most conservative states to stop it. If you can think of an amendment you're concerned about as a conservative, and you can list 38 states that you're pretty sure would ratify that, go ahead and send it to the program. Uh, Rita can give you the email address and we'll reach out to you directly. By the way, I've made this offer literally, Rita, to millions of people on the air over the last nine and a half years. I've never received an email on this subject.
1: Yeah. So I'll give you my email address. If you can send it to me directly, it's rpeters at cosaction.com. Mark, and I want to remind people again, conventionofstates.com is our website. You can find all of this information and much more there. And more importantly, you can sign up to get involved and stop sitting on the sidelines if, if you are on the sidelines. Mark, as we wrap up today, I just want you to respond to the people out there who would um, avoid getting involved in this effort because they're afraid?
0: Look, this is the most important thing I could say to you. It's become probably the most important quote that I repeat pretty regularly. It comes from John Quincy Adams. Uh, Adams, of course, was a president of the United States. And then most people don't know, he went and served in the House of Representatives for 17 years. His only cause in the House of Representatives was the fight for abolition at a time in American history when there was zero chance of the abolition of slavery. And during his tenure there, which was 17 years, he died on the floor of the House of Representatives, had a stroke there. Uh, He was asked by a journalist why he did it. And he was considered an annoyance by everybody in the House. He was considered an annoyance by the press. They called him the hellhound of abolition. And a member of the media said to him, Uh, Mr. Adams, you'll never accomplish abolition in your lifetime. Why are you doing this? Everybody hates you. You're just annoying. And he said, duty is ours and the results belong to God. And I try to remember that every day. And if you're afraid of this or anything else that we have to do to save the country, remember you have a duty to save the country. And that duty requires that you overcome your own fears, that you overcome your own doubts. It requires that you take action rather than sit on the sidelines. And by the way, it doesn't matter if you're afraid and it doesn't matter if you feel you can't succeed. We have a duty based on what we were given by our forebearers, what we were given from literally the pilgrims on forward in this country. We have a duty to preserve liberty. And so I would say step beyond your fear, step into the fight and join Convention of States.
1: Mark, I think that'll do it for today. Thank you. Thank you. As we close, I'd like to thank our generous sponsors at Blessings Christian Bookstore, Sunshine Ministries with Christian Radio, Wishing Well Florists and Travel Services, and our friends at New Beginnings Church and Garber's Church of the Brethren. Thank you all for listening and for your encouragement and financial support. If you'd like to make a donation to help keep Crossroads on the air, you can do so by check to Crossroads at P.O. Box 881, Harrisonburg, Virginia, 22803. I'm Rita Peters with Mark Meckler inviting you to join us again next week for another edition of Crossroads, where faith and culture meet.
0: Thank you for listening to the Crossroads podcast. To learn more about Convention of States, go to conventionofstates.com.